Hey guys, thanks for joining us. Today, I am pretty excited. I got to talk with Chris Green, who's the flood insurance guru. So when it comes to flood insurance, most insurance agencies aren't super confident in what they're doing. And I know that that is true for us. We're not in a flood zone. We don't write a ton of flood policies. And every time our office writes one, feel like we're kind of fumbling through it. At the end, we always feel pretty confident in what we're delivering to the client that's their best option. But after today, I'm not so sure. We might have some policies we need to revisit. If you have questions about flood insurance, you're in the right place. Before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by our master insurance agency, Blue Lion Insurance Partners, or BLIP, for short. We provide access to insurance companies, 100% commission, bonuses, support, software, and systems with no production requirements. We also provide you with automation software for free. One of the biggest benefits our agents find with our offer is that you maintain full, true ownership. Find out more information at bluelioninsurancepartners.com. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Chris Green, the flood insurance guru. Um, let's get started. I'm Josh Berg. Um, this is Chris Green. Chris is the flood insurance guru, and we're going to get into how that came about in just a second. If you find any value, please subscribe, leave a review. Really appreciate it. So, Let's get back to it. I got Chris Green, the flood insurance guru. Chris, welcome. And why don't you tell us how you got started as the flood insurance guru? Uh, well, it actually all happened by accident. Um, I'll go back probably several years. I got my master's degree in emergency management. Um, my specialization is actually hazard mitigation and with a focus on flood. And I got it back in 07, but I didn't do anything with it really because I was working as a captive insurance agent for about five years. Who were you working for? Uh, Liberty Mutual at the time. Okay. And then I went to work for MetLife. Well, I went to buy a house in 2012, and the house we were buying was in a high-risk flood zone, but we didn't know it until two weeks before closing. And the realtor was like, well, yeah, four closings before this have fallen apart because of this. Oh, and then our rate was like uh, three fifty a year, and everyone else was three grand. She's like, how'd you do that? I said, well, this is what my master's degree is in. And so I've studied grandfathering laws and all this stuff. And so since then, I've been transferring that same policy from one buyer to the next for the last, you know, seven years. <laughs> and so that's kind of, you know, I got, that's how I started to get into it. And I kind of saw a need. Yeah. And then about two and a half years ago, I was like, you know, I was coming up with a website when I started my captive agency. And I was like, you know, I want something catchy. So I said, let's just do the flood insurance guru. It'll kind of be a good topic starter. And so I did it and people start asking me about what my degree's in and all this. And I'm like, oh, you really are the guru. And yeah. so it happens, it just kind of started taking off. And that city I was in at the time uh, had some flood issues, but no one really did it. And so we, all of a sudden we saw that like our website was ranking for flood and we weren't even posting anything. Yeah. And so more people started coming to us for flood. Hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And then we started getting access in some different markets and we wanted to do it like on a nationwide level. And so it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. And then in January of this year, I'm fully committed to flood insurance guru where our specialty is flood and property. You know, we offer the other lines, but you would never know it by looking at our website. They're not going to yeah. know it unless they have a conversation with us. And ever since we did that, it, things are just kind of blown up across the country. 
So you just kind of started falling into it and you're like, we're just going to own this flood mm -hmm. insurance guru. There it is. Well, it's like I tell people, I said, look, I could continue to do 30 things good, or I could focus on these two things that are great. And we're going to do these things so great that those good things aren't even going to matter. Yeah, I love that. And so, okay, let me ask you this. With Flood, you said it's nationwide, right? You guys write nationwide. Yeah. Is it different or is there something unique about Flood that you don't have to get licensed in each state? Or do you hold licenses in all states? No, I hold licenses in all states. Wow. That's, so my licensing cost me like 10 grand a year. That's, I was going to say, that's got to be expensive and yeah, impressive. Some of the cares will require an agency license and a, a producer license in each yep. state. Some of those are like 800 bucks uh -huh. too. I think Colorado or someone like that's crazy high. Yeah. Um, anyway, nice. All and right. Like so, California and Florida is a nightmare licensing. So, so what does, um, what does the flood insurance guru, like, what do you do? Like, what do you offer? Well, we offer the insurance, but we take a completely different approach. Like I just redid my logo this week. Uh, our whole approach is bringing flood education awareness nationwide. So everyone's like, oh, can you do this on the coast of the coast? I said, yeah, we can. I said, but the resources and a lot of the education are there. And I said, what our long-term goal is to bring that education where places aren't. Because if we can bring the education, uh, we can also bring a niche market with us and really just captivate that audience. And kind of be the go-to person like areas like nashville you know phoenix where everybody just kind of laughs at you yeah uh like right now i'm spending a lot of time in the ohio area and so i'm shooting 365 flood videos of 365 days right now on a different subject matter and it's all flood that's crazy man so i think I, i'm last week when I was talking to Austin, I was talking about this, that we were, I was going to be interviewing you and it's like, gosh, flood is, this is going to be interesting because flood is such a boring like thing. I hate it. I hate it. I, I hate it currently. It's, it's, there's, it's so minimally done in most agencies that we just don't know. Right. And so when we're fumbling through something, then we're relying on the customer service rep at whatever flood company we're going through to get it right and interpret the elevation certificate and all this kind of stuff. So I'm really excited to actually be talking to you. Um, I'm hoping that that other people are, too. But I, I think this is going to be great. So I'm excited about it. But I'll be honest with you. Most of our business now comes from insurance agents because of what you just said. Yeah. We're like I stumble through it and all this. And I was like, well, how much stumbling through? Is that costing you other accounts? Oh yeah, totally, totally. That's why like State Farm and all states are some of our best customers now. I bet, man. So, okay, so you and I, I was letting you know, one of the things mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to touch on is the difference between private flood and the difference between the government run FEMA yeah. option, right? Okay, so <clears throat> from my understanding, there's, I guess until about a year ago, I thought FEMA was really the only option and there was no differences in pricing, whatnot, if something's in a high-risk flood zone. Yeah. Outside of that, there were these super cheap, you know, private companies you could go through, but I feel like all that's changing, but I don't have a really great grasp on it. Yeah. So it's like two, two totally different worlds. And so like you say high risk, honestly, what people laugh at me, it's the low risk zones where FEMA is usually the best option. Really? Yeah, because what happens is, you know, their rates are so cheap that the private carriers are like, look, we're not going to waste our time on that. But the other reason is that a lot of the low-risk areas, FEMA hasn't had time to remap, and they're actually high-risk, like Houston. 
So the private carriers are like, no, we're not touching that. Wow. Uh, like South Carolina right now is really hard in low-risk areas, and so is Texas because of the hurricanes. And so I'm working with some private carriers. They're actually using their own mapping technology to identify map errors. And they take their own approach when it comes to ratings and everything. Wow, that's crazy. So um, so when it comes to, if, if you, I guess, so um, I'm in Chandler, Arizona right now, okay? So yeah. we have a couple areas around us that are technically kind of like high-risk flood zones, even though in my opinion, they're not really. They might not have amazing drainage when it actually rains here, but that's about it. Um, as far as I can tell, I, I don't know of any homes that have flooded out here. Um, there's been no, you know, there's been no overflow or overspilling of rivers or lakes or things like that, really. Um, and so when I come across people who are in like a high, high risk flood zone, it's surprising to me. And, you know, oftentimes I'm even more surprised at the cost for that flood policy when I'm like, there is no risk here. Well, let me tell you, the big thing is like um, in Colorado, you might have a base flood elevation of, I don't know, 2,500 feet. You might have one in Alabama, 536. Well, your base flood elevation in Arizona is a foot. So Arizona actually yeah. has the most flooding out of anywhere in the country. They have about 40 to 100 floods a year. And the reason is, you know, like you said, it's, it's the desert. And so you might get like a monsoon season, say an inch of rain. Yeah. Well, when that inch of rain hit, hits that desert, it's like hitting cement. And it starts going downhill. The problem is the, where the desert's at. When it hits that low-lying area, there's nowhere for it to go. And wow. so it's not your lakes and your rivers you have to worry about. It's that uh, flash flooding that yeah. puts them into a high-risk flood zone. So with the um, with has there been changes to flood where um, in I guess a high risk flood zone there are other options other than the FEMA? Yeah, um, there have been options really out there about I don't know probably ten fifteen years. Oh, okay, probably, maybe even longer than that. But what happens is ninety nine percent of people either don't know about them, aren't educated on them, or the companies they work for said, hey, you can only go through FEMA. You know, yeah. they don't understand what type of loan, for example, if you have a government loan right now, you got to go through FEMA. If you have a non-government loan, like a conventional loan, you can go private all day long. Oh, interesting. And so that's what our first question we meet with a client, you know, what's your loan type? Even on our forms on our website, loan type, and they're like, well, what's the big deal with loan type? And then we send them over to an educational video. Hey, here's how your loan type impacts your flood insurance. Man, I did not know that. I feel yeah. like such a bad insurance agent. <laughs> I'm like, how do I not know these like things about flood? I was just saying you wouldn't unless you spend all that time on it. Yeah. It's like yeah. me, I know nothing about commercial flood. I mean commercial, but I know a lot about commercial flood. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking about commercial flood, are there different options for commercial than there are for personal? Oh yeah. So it, first of all, the coverages are completely different. And I'll say this, probably one of the biggest things we get is we get these flood policies from other insurance agents that maybe they got it from a friend of theirs or something and they sent it to us and they're like, hey, can you take a look at this? And what happens is they set it up through FEMA. Well, one of the dangers of setting it up through FEMA is they don't offer business loss of use uh, on uh, commercial properties. They don't offer additional living expenses on a personal flood policy. So like I just shot a video last week, hey, my house flooded, who's paying for my hotel? Well, it's not yeah. FEMA unless you got some kind of disaster assistance. Well, I shot a video with a restaurant. I said, hey, if this restaurant floods, what's going to keep it afloat when it's being rebuilt or whatever? Well, that's where the business loss comes in. And that's the big thing with private. Like I tell people, look, FEMA's program is there to give you something. 
Uh, private's more there almost like a, a replacement home insurance policy. It's actually there to make you whole again. Gotcha. And okay. that's kind of the difference between the two. But it's also too that, you know, the rate sometimes can be 50, 60, uh, 70% less, or it could be higher. Depends on the loss history. And then that's the other thing is the understanding what's called severity loss properties, which is if properties flooded more than twice within a 10 year rolling period, you know, how do you transfer the policy from one buyer to the next? Or how do you get a flood policy? How do you get that removed from the severity loss property list? And so that's what I'm spending a lot of my time on right now, some areas that have that designation, but haven't actually flooded in 15 years. So I go to FEMA and I argue and I say, hey, here's the documentation that shows this is correct. And you went on those options? Uh, I mean, a lot of them we do. It just it could be that the customer didn't have the right information. Just yeah. like we do, I have a, not really a side business, but a different division of our company that we actually do map changes and we charge the customer a flat fee if we win. So we'll get their elevation certificate. We'll look at the loss history and we'll go to FEMA and say, hey, this is down the Havers flood zone. You know, look at the lowest adjacent grade on the elevation certificate and you can clearly see. Or if a customer is building a house, we work with them and the survey and say, all right, this is what you need to do to make sure it's not going to be in a high-risk flood zone when you go to sell it. Because we have too many builders, it's, they really get stuck because they clear all the land and they're like, why well, am I in a high-risk flood zone? I said, well, you just cleared all these trees and you put in a retention pond. Yeah. I said, it's like a double-edged sword. He said, oh, I had no idea. So we work with a lot of builders when they're building out these communities of what to do so that doesn't happen. Wow. Or I've got one right now. He said, hey, the flood zone changed halfway through building this neighborhood. All these people I sold houses to are going to be mad at me. So, well, we could have helped you with that. If you would have reached out to us, we could have showed you, hey, these flood maps are changing in four months. And this is what they're changing too, to help better prepare you just like a realtor. Hey, like I shot a video a couple weeks ago. Hey, the uh, flood zone on my listing changed. What do I do? Because what yeah. a lot of people don't realize, uh, FEMA, if you don't have a mortgage, generally FEMA is not going to notify you that your flood zone changed. What they do is they put it in the local newspaper for 90 days. And on the 91st day, it goes into effect. Well, I've had probably more than 100 closings that have been impacted because the closing was on the 92nd day. Oh, man. And they're like, oh, my God, my flood insurance is going to be two grand. What do I do? I said, easy. I said, we go back and we do the new map law uh, flood policy for you that gradually increases over the years. I said, or if we know it's coming, we take the flood policy out the day before the map changes. We get the preferred rates and protect you. And that if you did that, that policy stays in force, yep. right? It doesn't yep. change. Wow. As long as it doesn't lapse. So you that's actually had... a lot of problem in the country right now is with all these map changes. Say, look, this is what you need to do before this map changes, not just to protect you, but protect your property value. Are there more map changes happening right now than there usually are? Like, is there something? Map changes are supposed to happen every single year for every community. Now, just because a map change takes place doesn't mean anything changes. Okay. Uh, but we work with a, a company called uh, Massive Cert, and what Massive Cert can do is actually get you a report of, hey, communities are being moved into high risk or being moved out of high risk. And so then we know where, what communities to spend our education on. Like there's a community up south of Chicago that could have 23,000 property owners impacted because of the Chicago River watershed. And so right now we're putting together a lot of educational ads for that community. Wow. Okay. So you had um talked about you've you've transferred the uh flood policy on your original home like mm -hmm. seven times or something yep. right okay what does that look like so if, if there's an existing flood policy on a home yep. that flood policy can be transferred by one owner to the next they can but the original owner of course you know flood has to be paid up front so yeah. the original owner has to be willing to eat those premiums 
Okay. And we've had some, you know, the mortgage company, real estate company can't know about this, but somebody could reimburse my course outside of closing. Sure. But they have to be willing to eat those premiums. They sign a sheet of paper and it's done like that. Wow. But most people don't know how to do that. So when a customer comes to us, our, one of our first questions is, hey, do you know if there's a policy already on the property? And I say, because we can look at that option. It's not going to cost you anything up front. And it may be the easiest process. We don't get anything off of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's really, the, it could be the best thing for them. Like we looked at one last week. Policy transfer was $2,900 because they're in a high risk zone and the house had flooded before. But private flood was actually 1200 Wow. And so what we do is we teach the realtor, hey, if you want to sell this house and you want to make sure your customer can resell it, this is the kind of buyer that you want to go after on this property. This is where so, you're going to have the least amount of obstacles. So when you transfer it, is it literally just a letter that the current owner writes to the flood company saying, please transfer this to this person? No, they actually send them the document. All they have to do is sign and send it back. So the flood company sends yeah. the owner the document? Yep. Wow. And if the closing doesn't go through, you just send it back letting them know the closing didn't go through. Gotcha. And then normally where we do is after they transfer it, then we'll do an agent of record change where we can okay. serve with the flood policy. But with the agent of record change, is it kind of like, well, you wouldn't know because you don't know commercial, but don't you have to submit like a whole new application? You can't just change. You just can't like submit a letter like you can with a. Well, it depends or... on certain, like sometimes with agent of record change, they will honor certain rates. So you have to be careful with that, but you also have to submit it 90 days before renewal. Okay. And so that's actually the risk of agent of record changes is you could really mess somebody's policy up really bad if you're not careful. Good to know. All right. Um, okay. Can we talk about elevation certificates for a second? Yeah. Okay. So what my whole subject matter this week has been in my video. <laughs> well, good. So, okay. Elevation certificates. Okay. Can you just talk about them for a minute? Now, here's, one because the, uh, here's the number one question I get. Oh, I got an elevation certificate. No, that's not an elevation certificate. That's a zone determination. Yes. I think okay. it's important to know the difference. You know, so it, you can you want to go over the through like right flood, uh, any of your carriers, all they're doing is their zone determination. So, Hey, it's in a high risk flood zone. Here's the base flood elevation. Here's the national flood insurance program community, whether they communicate, I mean, whether they participate or not, and it, whether it's in a high risk zone, that's a zone determination. An elevation certificate is when a survey actually comes out, surveys the property, and you have the uh, different elevation numbers on the house. Yep. And so that's the difference. And so the next thing that I get from customers like this week is, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and order an elevation certificate. I was like, don't, it's gonna be a waste of money. They're like, what do you mean? I said, you've got a finished basement that's below the lowest adjacent grade. I, I don't need to do an elevation certificate to tell you that's not gonna change. So <laughs> tell me about that. So what do you mean? Like if somebody has a, a basement that's below the lowest, lowest grade. It's a grade, then you know you're in a high risk zone. Like there's no way to change that. So finished. But couldn't the base flood or I mean, would a uh, elevation certificate change the base flood or where the lowest, you know, part of the floor is or whatever? I mean, no, isn't that what they look it's at? It's finished. So they do look at that. But whether, you know, it's four feet below or two feet below, you know, yeah, it could change the rate a little bit, but you're not going to make up enough, I don't think, to have the elevation, to have the elevation certificate done. Now, things that are like on crawl spaces, we do get a lot, you know, most of them get elevation certificates done. The reason is, let's just say somebody has a crawl space and it's all above the lowest adjacent grade, except the appliances are not. There's an air conditioner outside that sits below it. We show people how to raise their air conditioner a few feet, go yeah. back, get the elevation certificate done. Now all of a sudden we can get the zone changed. 
because everything's above the base flood elevation simply because they raised their air conditioner put it on a you know a pallet or something interesting and take the pictures and submit it and say hey wow that's um, has a, a basement if it's not finished you don't necessarily have to count that as the first floor you know if they've got their water heater down there say look if there's a way for you to put this water heater on the first floor we may not have to count that floor anymore if there's no unfinished flooring there and i said that can completely you know we had one that changed it by almost a thousand dollars a year wow just when they raised up their air conditioner and so what is um is there like a kind of an industry standard or or you know, rule of thumb type cost for somebody to get an elevation certificate or is it totally different anyone you go to, anywhere you go? Well, generally it should be about five to $700, but like in New York, I'm seeing people who charge like $1,500. Wow. But then the big thing we get is, hey, I can't find anybody to do one because they don't want to deal it because they have to deal with FEMA and this huge headache for what they can charge for it. Yeah. So we're working with a massive cert who's actually going to be uh, putting a link on our website. Hey, want to order an elevation certificate, click here to order it. They'll come up, they'll do it. They'll send us the elevation certificate first and we can turn it on and tell the customer, all right, we can get your zone changed or we can't. And a customer's looking at like between five to $700, somewhere yep. around there. Yep. Um, and then private flood does not generally require an elevation certificate. Now I've heard people say there are some that have, I haven't run across any that have, but it can improve it. I had one with private that took it from $2,500 a year to 857. So how, what numbers is private flood companies using? Like where are well, they they're using that? that base flood and all that, but they're not using all those different elevation numbers, but where private is kind of going to cut off is if a house is more than four feet below base flood elevation, they're not really going to touch it. Yeah. That's where, you know, that's what said that FEMA is still going to be there. Generally two feet is probably a good number to go off of. They don't really, you know, they don't want that risk. Yeah. Are there, um, like with your standard, um, like preferred auto home insurance carriers, are there private flood companies that are um, nationwide and then there's some that are local, some are better in other areas than others? Is that the same case with flood? It is. And that's the thing ever said, oh, it's through Lloyd's of London. Well, Lloyd's of London has like 500 different contracts. Every contract is set up differently. Like cat coverage might have one and their rate might be three grand. And there might be another agency out of Florida whose rate is 800. Huh. And everyone's like, well, this is what the Lloyd's rate is. So this is what it's going to be, which is not accurate at all. It's up to that independent broker on how they want to approach it. Then you have admitted and not admitted, which creates a whole nother issue. Like in states like California, you know, not admitted says, Hey, you know, we do have the right to pull out without paying for claims is what we always tell people. It's just like commercial surplus. Yeah. ENS. Well, there's actually a carrier that does business in Arizona. We do a lot with, it's one of the only admitted private flood carriers in the country. It's in about 15 States, which to me is huge. Yeah. That means wow. that, Hey, you know, they can't move out without paying for these claims. Yeah. Interesting. Well, okay. So grandfathering, tell me, can you tell me what that is and explain that concept? <laughs> So I was laughing about the video I shot last week with an Albert Einstein wig on. I, saw, I actually saw that. I saw that. <laughs> but yeah, what grandfathering is, is grandfathering can happen in two situations. Uh, what happens is you're, like you said, your flood zone's about to change. You go ahead and take a policy out and you can transfer that policy from one buyer to the next. Um, that's grandfather. And then uh, one that FEMA is kind of starting to do away, do, do away with is if your house was built after the first flood map, and you can prove that it was built to compliance then, then you can get it grandfathered. 
back to whatever that flood zone was. Let's just say house was built in 1995, and it was built in compliance. We could take the documentation of FEMA. FEMA will say, all right, we'll use the flood map for 1995. But the problem with that, and the reason why they're doing away with it is they're not charging enough for the risk. The risk is still there, and they're just going back to 1995. Well, the layout of the land and all that stuff is not the same as it was in 1995. So now they're creating more risk. Yeah, I was going to ask they're you about that. Like, that out. What's the what's the rationale behind allowing grandfathering? Like why? Well, they're originally allowed, and they're trying to do away with it now to protect themselves. Gotcha. Because they're paying out so many claims that it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, we've pretty much talked about all the different topics that I wanted to touch on. Is there anything else that you've got in your bag that is important for people to know? Um, I think some important is the like a video I put out today is that mm -hmm. private floods going to be available for government loans starting in July. FDIC passed a law last week. They're supposed to send it into effect in July. So it's going to be really interesting. The other thing is, you know, Andrew Mueller, uh, I do, but hold on before you get to that. So with that private flood being available for FEMA, um, or sorry, private flood being available for government loans, yeah. is that um, mean that there are going to be sp specific private flood companies that can qualify for that or whatnot? Or is it just all of them? No, they're trying to, uh, the law it was to say, hey, mortgage companies, we are now going to require you to accept private flood just like you would FEMA. Okay. So even nice. if it's admitted or not admitted, they're going to have to accept it. Is there usually a difference between on the between private and FEMA right now? I feel like anytime somebody's having a loan closing and they're going, you know, got to go through FEMA for the flood, getting that policy, like it, it's not as easy as getting a regular like standard home insurance policy in place, right? You can COD it, wait for the escrow check to come, but you can't really do that. I mean, you can do that for flood, but it just seems like more of a hassle when you're dealing with the flood companies. You got to submit the stuff. They want proof. And then now you have to submit proof of payment oftentimes, I, at least that's my understanding, in advance. Is that is that different with private flood companies? Yeah, I mean, private, I mean, I got something. We can issue a policy within like two minutes. But on FEMA, I'll be honest with most of our stuff, we can have issued within like 10 minutes. Really? Yeah, but, but it may be too that we look at elevation certificates all day long. We know yeah. exactly the documentation yeah. that is acceptable and what's not acceptable. Uh, like a lot of people don't realize, hey, you get charged an extra $250 a year with FEMA if it's not your primary residence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, hey, if you don't provide us this coverage, they'll drop your coverage from like $250,000, 250000 to like 30000 until you do provide the documentation. Wow, I did not know that. And so I guess, you know, I'm so trained on it because we, I mean, that's literally all we do all day long. We know exactly. Yeah. I even have it built into my automation. Hey, these yeah. are the three things we need from you within this time period. Uh, okay, so tell me about Andrew. Yes, I know who. So I know who he is. I don't think I've ever talked to him. In okay, person. I didn't know because I knew you were out at IOA, so he was out there. But we're both very heavy in the flood. Yeah, and I saw so that. One cool thing that people may not know about is FEMA passed a law back in October first that says, "Hey, if your bank allows private flood and you find a better option, you can now cancel your policy midterm, and we'll prorate your refund." Oh, really? But we're all having a big problem with it now because some of these carriers don't want to cancel it because then FEMA issued a bulletin after that. I mean, there's all these different things we're having to go back and forth. And so me and him are big into the flood, but that's the big issue we're both having right now is trying to get these customers these refunds. Like I've got almost $20,000 in refunds sitting in our pipeline for customers. 
And so uh, the carriers are just ignoring the that well, they're supposed to have to We're them. trying to figure out if it was the carriers or FEMA because it's only certain carriers that are doing it. Yeah, uh, I had a carrier that I had to get a friend of mine involved that's a lawyer just to write up a letter, and all of a sudden it got canceled. Oh, wow, so I think it might be more the carrier than it is FEMA, and depending on who it's coming through. Hmm. Yeah, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, all right. Any, anything else? Um, let's see. I uh, want all your info. Replacement oh. cost. Uh, replacement cost on is on private it's not generally on fema policies um so like you're saying on a private flood policy you actually have the replacement cost yep cal calculated but on fema it doesn't calculate the replacement well, cost. It, it doesn't pay the replacement cost it pays actual <laughs> cash value and then if it does pay replacement cost it's going to charge you such a ridiculous premium to sign funny so gotcha. think about contents you can actually get replacement costs on your contents is the um so I have a client that I just did a commercial flood insurance policy through FEMA. They're in a high risk zone. The building is three feet below the base flood elevation mm -hmm. and their premium was about 6,000 a year for this commercial property. Yep. But then they got a loan, they're redoing it. So they got a loan for a million dollars and they're putting in a ton of, they're turning into a brewery restaurant. Yep. They got a loan for a million dollars of, I guess what's considered contents or personal property, right? Because yep. it's going to be used for fryers and all that kind of stuff. So 500,000 of that is sitting at three feet below the base flood elevation. Mm -hmm. And it took their premium from like 7,000 or 6,000 up to $22,000. And here's crazy. Thing. FEMA will only let you go up to 500,000. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, and that's how much I had to do. I maxed it out on that. Oh policy. yeah. And like, I just did an $8 million property in Oregon a few months ago on commercial. So you had to go private, right? Yeah, on private. That's the cool thing. On private, I mean, we got companies that go up 10, 20, 30 million, depending on the risk. Yeah. I've got one in California I'm working on right now that's 320 condo units that'll be like 40,000 in premium for us. I mean, wow. it's taking nine months to work on it because it's so, you know, it's got to be so detailed. Yeah. But no, that's the thing with commercials. Like, hey, I can only get 500,000, but this mm -hmm. property is worth 3 million. What happens when it floods? Yeah. And so that's probably why our average commercial uh, policy is probably close to two or three million. And I'd say the average premium is about 2,200. Wow. That's, that's actually seems pretty reasonable. It's very reasonable. It's just the problem yeah. is that most agents just don't know the different options or a lot of them just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Which is kind so, of made us so popular over the last few <laughs> months. So how do you work with agents? So you work in all 50 States. So anybody seeing this, who's an agent can refer people to your website they refer people to you how's yeah. that work they refer people to us and what we do is you know, a lot of them have been asking us hey will you go the mga route i said no we'll probably never go that route just because you know we're big on the education uh we'll do split commission all that but the challenge with that is i don't hold a surplus license so we're still yeah. trying to figure that out but what we do right now is just say they send that flood client to us because they don't want to deal with it because i've got a few of them in arizona or whatever well yeah. they send that link to a customer a customer fills it out sends it to us well, they'll get a thank you email that we're working on the flood quote, but at the same time, they get a redirect back to that referring agent's website to leave them a review. Then they get a handwritten card in the mail from that referring agent saying, hey, I just want to say thank you for allowing us to be part of the process. Yes, we're not an expert on flood, but I'm glad we were able to find one for you. And so nice. the whole time, it's just built, we're building the automation on helping them build a stronger relationship with that customer. 
So they're like, they love it because then they're like, look, you're making me look a rock, like a rock star to my customers. You know, they're think- saving them a ton on the flood premium. So now I can go get every line and I don't have to worry about this agent stealing my business. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the number one factor that everybody's always concerned about. That's yep. how people say, look, we'll sign an agreement. I have it built into my automation that if it says other insurance agent, they can't even get automation on other stuff. Yeah. I love it. I think, you know, making that other agent uh, look like a rock star to that customer, I think that that's pretty much a, it's a staple for anybody who refers business uh-huh. to any insurance agent, right? Like yep. you've got to talk them up and, and make them look like that, right? And that's, yep. they're going to want to keep sending you business. So that's cool. So what's the, what's the website? Uh, it's just floodinsuranceguru.com. Blood insurance guru. Nice. And so you've been speaking a lot too, right? Yes. Like I've got five, I think presentations next week. And are they all educational presentations? They're all educational. I'm actually in the middle of CE certifying everything for real estate companies, which is just taking a little time. But then real estate companies are like, look, forget CE certifying it right now. We don't even care about that. We just want to put the knowledge and information in our realtors hands. Oh man. It's that we had these lenders reaching out to us said, look, we'll pay for the lunch and learn. We just want to use your knowledge and go into the meeting and kind of use it to put ourselves on a platform. I said, look, I got no problem with that. Yeah. Uh, totally. I got another agent, Pat, um, Patrick Kreider out of uh, Memphis, that we're speaking to 150 real estate agents together next week. And he set the meeting up. We split the food and all that. But what we do is we come in as a flood expert and then we show the, him as the expert on everything else. So yeah. to him, it, it, it's a win-win. Do you feel like the flood education is best so it's probably best in everyone's hands but do you feel like it's best in the hands of the individual doing the loan on the home or the individual or the real estate agent selling the home i think it's more important on the real estate agent because they're going to get the obstacles and the questions before the lender is yeah the realtor might see that's in a high-risk flood zone and they run away from the listing and then yeah. all of a sudden like i tell the realtor so i said look you're running away from the 20% that the other 80% are afraid to sell. Yeah. You know, this is literally where you can become the authority in which we've helped some realtors on the coast now. And like, man, I feel I like, it's easy. I feel like I need to uh, start a real estate company out here. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're like, you know, the realtors love it. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Cool. Well, yeah. dude, thanks so much for your time. I so, so much appreciate it. Um, Real quick, a plug for something we've been doing is we, this is the Blip Insurance Agency podcast. We have a um, a master agency, for lack of a better term, for Washington, Arizona, and Oregon agents, mainly for captive agents wanting to move over to the independent side, where we basically provide everything that you could need um, to be successful and start a successful independent insurance agency, including support, which is the one thing I found that everyone else is lacking. So um, any interest, let us know. But thank you again so much, Chris. I appreciate it. I'm sure you will be hearing from me soon. (laughs) I'm also going to be speaking at Elevate in a few months too. Oh, nice. In New Orleans, right? Yep. We'll be speaking on automation there. That's uh, probably fitting. Oh, you're speaking on automation, not on flood. No, automation. But that's why we changed the name to the Flood Insurance Guru. Yes, we're speaking on automation, but our name is out there. Yeah. And it's kind of doing the marketing for us. Nice. Yeah, we'll be t- teaching people how to use automation as an accountability tool for their staff and themselves. You mean like setting up tasks that come out to you at certain times or? Well, yeah, for like your team. Uh, and if your ta- team doesn't uh, do it within a certain time frame, 
then it comes back to you. But if they do do it, maybe they get an emoji saying, congrats. Yeah. You got, I mean, something like that, but just holding yourself accountable, like on paperwork renewals, you know, mm -hmm. looking at your calendar every day and you know exactly what you need to do. Cause we set the automation up, right. Nice. But also automating the things that take your time away from your family and take your time away from your customers. Yep. I love it, man. Sweet. Well, you're doing good work. Keep it up. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, Chris.